Third John, support and opposition. Boy, what a thumbnail. It's nice to see those thumbnails. You know, like when I actually click over to them. Poor Trent. He does so much hard work. And then I go to, go to the last slide and I'm like, oh, I didn't get to show him the thumbnail. <laughs> Third John is where we'll be tonight. Last week, we went over Second John. Second and Third John, very small books, just one chapter each, less than 20 verses in each, less than 15 in each. And what you can actually see here is there's, there's a pattern. This is why I love these books. You see things that have been taught over and over and over actually put into play. And this is important to note because when John is writing to this church, he's writing to commend somebody and to call out another person. Now, he did that in the other book, but he didn't really call anybody out by name. He didn't say, and mark and avoid this person or be careful, you know, be careful about this person what he was calling out there was false doctrine. When people say that they're coming in on the authority of God, but they're denying Jesus Christ, that's not a good thing. You need to leave that where it is. Don't let them into your home. Don't let them into the fellowship. You have to guard and protect. In this book, I titled the, the message Support and Opposition because there are two warring parties inside the church. It's very important to note here that they're both saved men. One of them is actively fighting against the other, and the other is just doing the right thing. He's just walking in the truth. It's important because you're going to see this play out here in our ministry. You'll see this play out anywhere that you go where people have choices to either obey or disobey. This is going to happen anywhere that you go. This is not a one-off situation. The perfect church does not exist. I hate to break that uh, bubble, but, or to burst that bubble, but it does not exist because we have sinful natures. And those sinful natures within us, in, you know, just internally, wars with anything that is good, any instruction from God. And then externally, it manifests in the sole purpose to deceive. I mean, how many of you have heard of that term gaslighting? Where you're trying to convince somebody you know that what you're what you're saying, you know that you're in the wrong, you know that you are not truthful, but you're going to do whatever you can to twist and malign that person's perception so much so that they would begin to doubt if they really remember what the truth is. That is not a healthy quality. And it's in a lot of our culture today. It can come into the church too. Not because the church decides to embrace it, but because that's mankind. That's mankind. When you look at the doctrines of socialism, communism, there's a lot of gaslighting about the importance of the community. How many of, heard, of you have heard this phrase, it takes a village to raise a child? Okay, well, that sounds really good. When you go back and see where that phrase originated, you don't want to be anywhere near it. Because the idea then comes in, you as the individual don't know as well as a whole bunch of individuals in a community. Well, when does, how, how does that become dangerous? When the community goes against the individual rights. That's when that becomes dangerous. When the community says the individual is less than what we say is correct. You know, that's what makes this country fantastic. Now, we're not a fantastic country right now. 
There's a lot of problems. And I'm thankful that we're not looking forward to a better America. We're looking forward to the Lord Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in his kingdom. I already know I'm a citizen there. I don't have to hope and pray about that. I have my citizenship. Amen? Amen. And all of us do who have put our trust in Jesus Christ. But something very unique about this country is the Bill of Rights. It's a fantastic document. It outlines what God has already made clear about the individual. And this is, you see this in the plan of salvation. You're not born into the family of God because your father in your home, your earthly father, put his trust in Jesus Christ, and therefore you're, uh, what's that term, grandfathered in. That's not how that is. Everybody has to make their own decision. You can collectively even be born into the house of a Jewish person, meaning you're of a certain tribe, you're an Israeli, you're a Hebrew, but you still could miss eternal life because you have to make an individual decision about one person, Jesus Christ. And what's ending up happening in a lot of churches is churches start get going, they start growing, and then the sin nature comes out in disobedient believers. Now, there's no way I can tell. Well, there are things that I can tell, but on the surface level, there's no way I can tell if you're doing right privately in your homes. I don't know that. And it's not my job. And I despise when churches try to do that. My in-laws came from a church like that. Couldn't have a red uh, car. Couldn't have anything that was red in color. Couldn't have a TV in your home. If you wanted to leave the church to maybe go and you would have to like miss a Sunday or something, you'd have to get permission. And I'm talking about you just go to church. That's not church. A lot of people think it is. Why? Because it's control. Now you're not really beholden to God, you're beholden to me. And trust me, I, I, I know what God says. You could just trust me on that. Well, that's how a lot of churches end up starting to go one way or the other, in growth or in decay. And the churches that go into growth, they continue to face opposition because of the sinful nature within all of us, especially those who are disobedient. But how can I tell if you're growing or decaying? You know, the truth is, I can't. I can't. And I really don't want to know that. I, I, I don't want to be the person that inspects your life because you are not accountable to me. When I was, um, back in 2018, maybe I think it was 2018, the summer of 2018, the church came together and said, you know, we're going to ordain Jesse as a pastor and he'll serve here as the assistant pastor. I did not take that lightly. That was something I took like very seriously. You know, the time could come where the church is not able to support me. And I'm not able to, you know, be on, on the salary that I'm on now and I'd have to get a, another job. Whatever that, if, if that day ever came, I still have a responsibility because they were men of God who prayed and were led by the Lord to say, we're going to lay hands on this man and ordain him in the ministry. I take that title into my eternal life, <laughs> into my grave. So regardless of what may happen with the rest of my life, I've been set aside for that purpose. There are certain responsibilities and things that I have to do with this title that I've been given. And that was, you know, 2018 before I was even the, you know, the pastor. There, I was just the assistant. When I became the pastor in 2020, the same thing was set, and maybe even to a higher degree. And you can hold me accountable to that. You're supposed to see things and let me know and help me, and I'm supposed to help you. But as far as the difference between growth and decay, 
That's something that starts internally first. It's very important to notice the pattern about bitterness that's described in Hebrews 12. It says it, it is, it's buried and then it springs upward. Okay, Something that springs upward, it's first in the ground. It's something you can't see. But all of a sudden you see the, the weed or the plant or the stem and the leaf. You go, something's growing there. That's happened. To, I think one of our neighbors threw some type of seeds just didn't think about it over into our little strip of land there. And, and I remember seeing stuff growing out of the tarp, and it was not like a regular weed. It was like this big, thick thing, and I pulled it, and it smelled like onions. And I was like, what is this? I don't know what this is. But I had no idea it was there until something showed that it came out of the ground. Bitterness is the same way. I can't tell if you're here tonight and you're bitter. Like I said, I don't, I'm not going to go and do that. But over the course of time, you'll make it known. As a pastor, we get, we get trained, not with like any classes or anything, but I think through the discernment of the Holy Spirit, we listen to what people say. When I hear someone say something a certain way, I go, I'm a little concerned about that. Somebody who's growing in the Lord wouldn't make a statement like that. That doesn't mean I'm judging you guys based on everything that you say, but there are things they stick out like a sore thumb. You know, that, that expression is important. You ever had a sore thumb? Most of the things that you would normally do, you look odd because your thumb doesn't work. When people say things a certain way, I believe the Spirit brings that to a person's knowledge, especially someone who's a leader, to say, hey, something's going on with this person. And now there's a way to approach that. You do that carrying the truth in love. I'm not walking around with a hammer looking to smack people like whack-a-moles and say, I did my job. Okay, well... You may have addressed the problem, but what happened to the person? If you fix the problem, you lose the person. You haven't really done anything for yourself or for that individual. So there's a lot of practice that goes into that. But there are some times, and this has happened at this church, not under my leadership or Dr. Arnold's, but under Dr. Lindstrom's leadership, there are some times where the bitterness, it springs up and it does defile many. And that's how you get a church split. It's not what we're going to read about today, but it could get there. And there are some things happening on one party's side where you could see this could lead to a split. But they're all, in the, they're, all, they're all of the family of God, but one person is walking according to his new nature, and one person is walking according to his old nature. So let's take a look here. 3 John, we're going to start in verse 1. John the Apostle here. He gives the same greeting that he did in 2 John. He says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius. So in the last letter, 2 John, he's writing to an elect lady in the church and her children. And then he's writing here to a man named Gaius. And he says, Whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth, for I rejoiced greatly. At what? When the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. So I want you to circle that. You're going to connect it to another word in a moment. But I want you to see here, John made a similar statement in 2 John. Now it should be on the other page. So you should be able to look right over in 2 John chapter 1, verse 4. John says this to his audience, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. There's nothing greater 
or sweeter than finding out brothers and sisters are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I wish that was talked about more today. I kind of get tired of this idea of Christianity where everything is an apologetic and everything is a defense. There's a place for it. I'm not knocking it. But man, can we teach people how to do right instead of just knowing what's right? You know how much this, this communities would change? You know how, how families would be changed in a few months if mom and dad would start doing what they say is right instead of, instead of just saying it? You'd have a whole new household. That household would be in line with the Holy Spirit as he leads and guides and directs. But we've got a lot of people today, and even in apologetics, we've got men that know the truth and they speak it, but they don't do it. And there's cameras everywhere now. And it really breaks my heart when I see these, these strong men of the word, they get on these secret cameras, they don't know they're, be re, they're, they're being recorded, and they just blow their testimony. Not to say they lose their salvation or prove that they're not saved, but they just do things that give ammunition to the world. That's why I really enjoy the fact that as far as our YouTube channel is concerned, it's not just question and answer. This is going out on our YouTube right now. I want people to see, yes, we can you know, strike Calvinism down and we can beat up lordship salvation and we can teach on these things. But what is more important than that is to actually do the truth. Be a doer. And that's one thing that is described in both of these books, 2 John and 3 John. When John says, I've got great joy, I've rejoiced greatly, it is only because people are walking according to the truth. Works do matter. They do matter. In the free grace movement, people are being trained right now, my opinion, people are being trained right now to avoid any mention of good works. And I understand that on a certain level, but it's, it's, it's dangerous to an ultimate level. Why are people being trained to avoid good works? Because that's in a lot of gospel messages today. Now, notice what I said, gospel messages. People are adding that you have to do good works in order to be saved. So as people are coming out of lordship salvation, they're getting real sensitive to this idea of good works because they're listening for it. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. When I hear somebody... In a, in a message, mention good works, I want to make sure it's in the proper context, right? Because <laughs> if you're saying your good works save you, that doesn't work. But there is a fact of the Christian life that you should be producing fruit. If you're not producing fruit, it's not a matter of whether you're saved or not. You're sick. Something's wrong. That's not a normal thing. And people flip out over that. They're like, oh, well, you're saying fruit determines the salvation. No, no. The new nature, the Holy Spirit, lead, guides, and directing into the fact of producing fruit. Abide in me and I in you. There's a lot of Christians that have become antinomian. Big word means there's no law. We don't have to worry about anything. We just do whatever we want. We're saved. And that's it. You know, Grace is always going to cover what we sin. They don't actually say that, but that's how they live. They live with a license to sin. And I get it. I'm sensitive to people that come with that critique towards us. What I find out is those people who think that's what we teach are trying to earn their own salvation. And their life is miserable. You want to know why? Because they're trying to do something they can't ever accomplish. Their life is miserable. You should listen to some interviews I've heard 
of people that have come out of lordship. It is a breath of fresh air. We just had all you know this rain and stuff. You walk out there tonight, especially when the temperature drops and just that cool air, you, it's so refreshing. That's how it is when I hear people come out of a workspace message and learn how to do what Hebrews says. They rest. They find the rest that they were robbing themselves of through good works. But good works are imperative to the Christian life. And if you do not have good works, if you're living in sin, and it's sin that you're not taking to God, you're not working on it, there's a problem there. A good pastor would not go, well, he's on his own journey. He's doing his own thing. Yeah, he is on his own journey, and he is doing his own thing. And that's not right. (laughs) We should address that. Think about your children. They get sick. Something's wrong with your kids. Oh, man, when Remy, you know, she's over a year now, but anytime, anything, you know, a little fuss, a little, you know, some boogers in the nose. Sorry, I don't know if boogers is appropriate, but, you know, we got parents here tonight. You know what I'm talking about. Little sneezing, all that. Number one thing you're looking for is that fever, because that can be very dangerous in, in an infant. Well, you know, there are some parents who look, I checked the thermometer and it's good. But then there's parents like me, like, is that right? (laughs) It's really close. Then you're on your phone, you're Googling after hours for a fever, you know? (laughs) Caleb's laughing because he probably knows, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, you're you're concerned. If something's wrong with your child, they're they're so small, their immune system is so new. You as as dad, as mom, you want to do everything that you can to protect that child and nurse them back to health. That's how we should act with a believer who is not walking according to the truth. Something's wrong. You're at risk of losing out opportunity. You're at risk of God disciplining you to the point where if you don't get right with him, he'll take you home. We should, ha- we should have that much care, but you know what a lot, of, a lot of the church does? They look down on that believer. They look down and say, Psh, what a loser, what a baby, they'll never get it right. They don't ever offer a hand to help. They just sit back like this and just watch and watch and watch as they struggle and struggle and struggle. That's why it's still a part of my prayer that we bring back our addictions ministry. I want that, I want that because a lot of those people that would come through those doors would never be welcomed in a regular church. They aren't clean enough. They aren't right enough. Man, aren't you glad that God does not have those standards for us. But, you know, sadly, when people are decaying in their Christian life, they could have all the outward appearance of growth, but internally there's something wrong. And those of us who know the word, you can, you can spot it. It sticks out. You're like, that's the problem right there. That's what this letter is about. And we have our first character. His name is Gaius. Now, that's a very common name. You see that a couple of times in other books in the New Testament. It's not for me to say this is the same one. There's, there's lots of opinions on that. What's important is not to find out if he was the one in, in Acts or not. What's important to, to see here is that as John was writing this, this man was an example. He was an example of what a believer looks like. And it, it, it brought joy to John. I got a couple of points here. Um, Verse 4, I want to read that one more time. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Believers who walk in the truth 
which is to say, according to God's truth, should bring joy to other believers who are doing the same. Paul also attached joy with obedient believers. I want you to see that. Hold your spot in 3 John. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. This is on page 1268. For what is our hope or joy <clears throat> or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. The ye there are those Believers in Thessalonica, you read all of chapter 2. I wish we had time to read all of chapter 2. These, these people received them with God's authority. It's not to say they received them blindly, but they, they received them with trust that what they were communicating was God's message. And that brought a lot of joy to Paul. You remember that Paul went through a lot of suffering. It was not all you know, peaches and cream for Paul. He didn't you know, deny his upbringing and then say, okay, everything's good now. Can you imagine being, you know, having to be snuck out of a, a building in a bucket? Being in a shipwreck? You know how quickly it is for someone to drown? Especially at night. You get in a shipwreck, you don't know up from down, and you're in water. I, I guarantee you the first thing you are not thinking of is don't breathe. You're panicking. You'll be dead. You'll, you'll probably start drowning in, in 10 seconds. Life over that quick. Paul was in a shipwreck, and he knew it was coming. <laughs> and then you have the, the beatings that he took, the stoning that he experienced at uh, Lystra. Interesting. His life was full of suffering. But this man saw beyond, you know, beyond the temporal and saw, guess what? I've got you in Jesus Christ. I've got Jesus Christ. I've got joy. Those believers brought joy to him. Go back to 3 John. I want you to see it and, and just notice that with Paul and with John. <clears throat> I think they had different roles in the church. And at the time John is writing this, Paul's dead. He's been dead. And the church is starting to go in a direction where there's all this mystical stuff creeping up. Mm, yeah, Jesus, he was a man, but he only had the Christ spirit. That was a very popular teaching around this time. Well, he was a man, but the Christ spirit de descended on him at baptism and then left at the crucifixion. Well, that's not true. That's why John emphasized you got to believe he came in the flesh. <clears throat> Otherwise, what are, you, what are you believing in? Might as well believe in me <laughs> to pay for your sin. And I'm not going to be able to do anything that actually matters in relation to that. What we can also see here is Gaius, his life bore the fruit of obedience, which was made known to John by those who encountered him. Take a look at verse 5. In Third John, beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. So earlier I asked you to circle uh, walkest in verse three, and I want you to tie it to doest in verse five. This is important. I hear this all the time, Pastor. What do you mean to walk in the Spirit? How do I do that? And I have to hide my smile. I have to hide from going, hmm, like this. And you say, why? Because they just said it. How do I do that? Well, you do 
what the Bible says. That's walking in accordance to God's truth. Some people, that's a relief. They go, okay, if I just know what the Bible says, I stay close to it, and I do what it says, I'll be okay. Other people, that's a vice because they need help. There's not a problem with that person. There's different learning styles, but we should have a community church that can come alongside and help. That's another thing that's been on my mind quite a bit is what am I going to do with the people that keep calling in saying, I need a church in this area, and I can't find them, and I'm looking. I have two websites saved on my computer that are church locators. Sadly, there's not a lot on there. And then I find people, or people give me a call, and they say, what about this area? What about this area? And I look, and I had a guy tell me, I'll drive two hours one way to get to it if it's in my area. That's the most that I can go. And I'm sitting there on the phone, and I know I've already looked in that area. I can't find one. The Lord's laid on my heart to maybe help people build their own churches in their homes. I don't, it doesn't have to be here, you know? I mean, this is great. I got some stories about what God has done in, in, in the past three months about this building. I'll get, to, I'll get to that on Sunday morning. But it doesn't have to be here. Well, I'm not 501c3. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I got great news for you. Does not matter. Well, I don't have the money to rent out property. I have more great news for you. Nor does that matter. You can open up your home. And have people come in. Open up your, your yard. I don't have hymnals. Don't need them. People have phones. They can follow along. You don't even have to sing hymns if you don't want to. But I think a lot of people are thinking in a way like, I need a church in order to do godly things. Do you understand what I mean by that? People are like, well, I can't walk according to the truth because I don't have a church. That's, that should not be the case. We are the church. The people. We're, we're the church. So if we want people to do right, we should be doing right. I know this sounds extremely basic, but it's being missed by a lot of places today. And look at the idea of the megachurch. Here's the megachurch. We are going to soak up the community. I see this. The church right down the road, this is what they do. They'll have huge VBS programs. I mean, and my brother-in-law can attest to this, thousands of kids, right, Jan? Thousands of kids, and they'll do flyers to the local churches. Hey, you know, we know times are tough. Bring them to our property. We'll run the whole thing. You just send your youth group to our facility for, you know, VBS runs for four or five weeks throughout the summer. We'll take care of them. What ends up happening is they absorb those families. And in their mind, if you can absorb the families, you can absorb the tithing money. Because some megachurches, at least three years ago, in this area, are over $5 million in active debt. I can't believe that. I would not take a church in that position. Because <laughs> you know what? That means it's on me and all of my board members. There's not some, you know, little community or a, a little uh, tax bracket over here that we can all evade. That, that's on the head of the individuals. But that church, it'll suck it all up and then the little churches are left dry, hollow. They have the better programs. They have the better function. Everything on the surface runs like a business. 
And then as soon as you come in, you're no longer a new customer, you're a returning customer, and you go two clicks lower than the new customer. My brother was dating a girl, and she came to church, this was years ago, and she came from that megachurch. And I, I wasn't preaching that Sunday, or maybe I was, I don't remember. But I talked to her and I said, you know, where, where are you coming from? Do you go to church regularly, blah, blah, blah? And she said, I go to blah, blah, blah. And uh, I really like it here. And I knew the church she was talking about. And I was like, that's, that's good. Because a lot of people would say, that's what they want. They want the music and the atmosphere and the, oh, you know. <laughs> that's what they want. That's what they think Christianity is. But she said, you know what I like about this church? You have the lights on. I was like, other churches don't? You have the lights on and you actually use the Bible. Amen. And it was like, hmm, people are looking, but they, they, people fall for the, I need a church in order to do right. You don't need a church, in order, you don't need a building in order to do right. You know what marked the growth of the church? Persecution, death. Stephen gave a message and they killed him. And then the blood of the church, it flowed. And people were dying left and right. Saul, before he became Paul, he was bringing accusation against these people. Suffering grew the movement. First and Second Peter is written to those who were scattered. James was writing to those who were scattered. Oh, well, I guess we lost the building, so we got to close it all down. Jesus, we did our best. It's not how it should be. This is where we recharge. This is where we re-equip ourselves. We, this is a building that I believe God has given us this property to reach the community across the street. And we're going to do that. And we reach all around the world. But if this goes, our faith should not go with it. And what is being written to these people here is Gaius is an example of someone who's walking in truth. They're doing right. Let me finish what he said here. Look at the end of verse 5. Thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. Now look, you got two groups there. Those who are in Christ and those who are without Christ. Gaius treated them in a way that was described by John as according to the truth and faithful. That's how we should behave too. This is why, yours truly, I do not like this idea of conservative right-wing um, um, politics is equal to Christianity. No, it's not. There's a lot of stuff in the name of conservatism that is wickedness. And that's a problem. It doesn't matter how you vote. Republican or Democrat or independent. I told you. I think I'm going to get a, a bumper sticker that says, Jesus for president. And I'm just going to put the year that I think is coming back, right? <laughs> and right now, folks, that year, I'm really feeling... We'll say 2-0-2-4. I know that's close. I'm not saying he's going to come in that time, but I'm just looking around and going, uh, you know, I just read an article that said artificial intelligence is learning from its own mistakes and fixing it. That's called exponential growth. Can you imagine a world where verification, people are, are verified through artificial intelligence? I mean, it has access to terabytes of information. That's scary. And you have students already that are writing essays through ChatGPT. And then they got caught on that. So guess what? Somebody just stole the open source code and made something different and tweaked it. <laughs> and these students are still passing college. 
They're, they're, they're getting degrees. Crazy what's happening. Gaius, he's the example of someone who does good to everybody, those in Christ and those without. Look at verse 6. Which hath borne witness of thy charity. You should circle that as well. Walking and doing is built on love. And that's what 1 John is all about. 1 John 3 through 4. Details that significantly. Before the church, whom if thou would bring forward on their journey, after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. They were traveling together. They were working on things together as they were going through and reaching people through faith in Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel message. They were treating people correctly according to what Jesus said was truth. Verse 8, we therefore, or excuse me, verse 7, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. You want to be working with God? Get around people who are doing right and do right like they are. That's how this is supposed to work. There's not going to be some highly rewarded idea of believers in heaven. This is what's interesting about the judgment seat of Christ. I, I believe through my interpretation of that judgment and some things that are written in Daniel 12 and descriptions of eternity future, there will not be the ability for us to compare and say, I wish, I wish, I wish. That might happen at the judgment. It's actually likely to happen at the judgment. But going on into eternity, that very example of I wish I had, like let's just say I wish I had what Johnny had, that is the definition of coveting, which is a sinful thing. I don't think people are going to be walking around in heaven ashamed that they could have done more. What I think will happen is God's going to reward people according to how they worked for him here. And everyone's going to be fine with that. The problem here on the earth is that people think, oh, we got to trust the strongest. we got to stick with the strongest. And you know what ends up happening? The devil targets that man. He falls, and everybody else does too. But Gaius was not like that. Gaius was somebody who was not just accepting the leadership, but he's actually pushing it out. It's influencing those who were around him. Gaius was a doer. Notice it's a doer towards those in the body of Christ and a doer towards those outside the body of Christ. Mm, I'm not sure what time we have as far as how much we have left, but let's take a look. James chapter 1. Look at James chapter 1 in verses 25 through 27. This is, I think, de- I mean, it's definitely worth noting, but I want to move through it rather quickly. It's said here, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, meaning they look at the instruction and they continue with works, obedient to the instruction, he being not a forgetful hearer. Boy, I always laugh when I read that because that's me. Some of you have experienced that. You're talking to me about, okay, we'll do this on this date. And I pull out my phone. I've got to actually put it down. Or else there's so many things that come up and I just forget. I forget. So being a forgetful here, that's pretty natural. How many of us have forgotten to do things that we told somebody we would do? And if you're not raising your hand, you forgot that you forgot it. I, it's just, I, you know, that's what it is. <laughs> but I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that James says this here because we can do the same thing with God's instruction. 
we can forget that he said it. You're not reading the whole Bible in one sitting. And even if you could, there's going to be things that you do not retain. And your circumstances will change, which will change how you apply the truth. So how do we avoid being a forgetful hearer? Look what it says. But a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. His works will be blessed. If any man among you seem to be religious, now he's using that word here because it's the best way to describe the Greek word that is used here, but it doesn't mean like religious, like a Catholic or a Lutheran or like to a denomination, but you're living out your faith. You're demonstrating it. It's outward. If any of you appear to seem to be outward with your faith and bridleth not his tongue, warning, warning, that's not according to truth. So, okay, so a person who can't control their tongue, they come under the knowledge that they need to control their tongue. If they want to do right by God, what do they do? Control their tongue. If a believer comes under instruction that he needs to control his tongue and he doesn't control his tongue, he's a forgetful hearer. Or he's a willful, disobedient person. Both are not good. He says, And bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now, so many people run in and say, not converted, not saved, not saved. That's not what that means. It means your outward demonstration of faith is useless. Why? It's not according to truth. That's why. Verse 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep him, himself unspotted from the world. Now, that doesn't mean that's the only way you can demonstrate Christianity. But it is one way that you can. Praying without ceasing is another way. Sharing the gospel is another way. Faithfully, as a cheerful giver, giving to the ministry is another way. But James is talking here to Jews who are outwardly getting three out of four, three out of five, but they're missing others and, and knowingly missing others. And James is saying, you need to fix that. You need to grow into doing five out of five. Now you see where James chapter two falls in. It's all about what are you doing with this faith that you have? All right, we are running out of time, so go back to John three. Now we're gonna look at the other fellow here. Well, I'll make some notes and we'll, we'll take a look at his description. Closing on Gaius, he is an example to the believer. Here's his example. If you know the truth, then do the truth in love. Then you have diotrephes. Ooh. This guy is as messed up as how I just pronounced his name. No, that, that, I'm not sure if that's correct or not. I YouTubed it and there were like three different ways. So I'm like, I'm just going to go with the way I did it. Diotrephes. It sounds diabolical, right? Our friend here is now mentioned in verse 9, and he's, he has said, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, now listen, here's, here's what you need to know about him. What's it say? Whom loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Now what was said of Gaius? He walked in the truth. What was said of him in verse Six, which have borne witness of thy charity. Now have your eyes for a second. Gaius, Diotrephes, they both had love. One, Gaius, loved the truth. 
specifically God's truth. Diotrephes loved preeminence. He loved himself. What does it mean to be preeminent? We know that that's a description of Christ in Colossians. He's the first. Diotrephes said, I want to be the first. I'm not going to receive John because that's a threat to me. How petty and sad and overall destructive this behavior is. If there's one thing that when I see this in a young believer, I'm automatically, I want to get right, I want to get to the incision, I want to whoop, get that out, is pride. Especially the idea of, I'm the best, sit down. <laughs> I'm not the best, you surely are not the best. And if you have that kind of attitude, like this is a competition, you're going to get humbled real quick. And the dangerous thing is, you could take other people with you. I've seen this in friends that I used to call dear friends, destroyed by pride. I mean, it just like ripped through them and it was a slow process, but eventually it just burst like an infection. And you go, oh. I would have conversation after conversation after conversation about what's the attitude like? What's the end goal here? All that, and it was all about, I know better. I know better. I know better. Would receive instruction. I don't need that. I have YouTube. Okay, well, how do you help somebody like that? Best thing you can do for him is say, Dad, he's your kid. <laughs> and you know, the sad thing is, not all of God's kids respond well to chastening. That's, that's just a sad thing. I'm thinking about it now, and it just makes me sad about how many people, it's just a few that have been in my life that have just forfeited their opportunities. It's sad. I don't like it. I don't sit back and go, at least it's not me. It grieves me. Because overall, it hurts the body. Not a good thing. Can you imagine if my hand was decaying and I was like, well, I didn't like that hand anyway. This is a problem, you know, that <laughs> needs to be fixed. Diotrephes, his primary issue was preeminence, which is defined as the desire to be first. This is best summarized as pride. There are three revelations in his behavior that showed the root problem. Look at what it says in verse 10. Wherefore, now first off, we know he did not receive what John was going to write. He did not receive John or those who were with John. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which, which he doeth. Number one, pratting against us with malicious words. This is gossip. Okay? And this happens in a lot of different forms. Sadly, where it happens in the church the most is through prayer requests. Well, we need to pray for sister so-and-so because I heard, blah, 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 and I can't believe that. Blah, 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 blah. Let's pray for her. How about you just pray for sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so? Do this all the time. My counseling sessions are private. My wife asks me how things go. I say, honey, we got to pray for so-and-so. They're going through it. That's it. I am so glad that my wife is not somebody who goes, what? Give me details. I have to know. She is more concerned with their healing than her knowledge of what the problem is because you know what? She knows the one who can solve the problem. Amen? That's what we should be focused on. And you pray for your pastor. I'm talking about me. As I counsel. Those are heavy burdens to bring to the Lord, but I bring them to him with, with an open mind that, that he can do it. And thankfully... I've seen more people do what God says and get right 
than I have seen people who just walk away from the truth. He was pratting against us with malicious words and not content therewith. He, didn't, he wasn't satisfied with, I'm just going to malign him in word. What does he go on to do? Neither doeth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. Yikes! Now, if you remember, John said in his second letter, he said, if a person comes in bearing a false doctrine, receive him not. Diotrephes is receiving those who are of the truth. Excuse me, he is rejecting those who are of the truth. There's nothing in here that indicates this man is lost. If anything, he was converted, but he's walking according to his old nature. What are the threefold revelation? Number one, he lied about John's words. Why is that significant? Because John's carrying under the inspiration of God the words of God. So this man lied against Scripture. He did not receive other believers into the church like his counterpart Gaius did. He pressured other believers to reject John with the threat of expulsion from the church. Can you, can you say church split? That's exactly what that is. You're still going there? After Pastor Jesse said blah, 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 after he didn't do this, after he never did that, you're still going to go there? I guess you really don't love God. For a weak believer, that gets people. Like, oh, well, they know enough to correct a pastor, so I might as well go with what they say. It's just sad how people get taken advantage of. But Diotrephes is a very, very good example of a very, very bad believer. He's someone who's walking in accordance to his sinful nature. He is not like Gaius. In what way? He does not do nor love the truth. Now, I've said the truth over and over and over. The truth is that you love one another. As Jesus had instructed in John 15, and as John said in 1 John, that is keeping that commandment. Now, he, he has a summary here, and it's in one verse. It's said of this. Look in verse 12. Uh, sorry, not verse 12, verse 11. Beloved, so he's told about Gaius. He's told about Diotrephes. And he says in closing to Gaius, I would, I would think is correct, follow not that which is evil but that which is good. He that doeth evil is of God. Excuse me. He that doeth good is of God. But he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Now that hath not seen God, for those of you Bible students who are quick with it, you know that's already been said in 1 John. How can a man, love his, how can a man say he loves God but hate his brother? He, you know, how can he love someone he's seen but, or excuse me, hate somebody he's seen, but say he loves God who he has not seen. That's in 1 John. John's writing from what he's already told them. It's only 12 verses, but it's, a, it's massive. All the teaching of 1 John is packed in there, at least certain sections, and Gaius is doing those things. Diotrephes is not. His closing remarks about the behavior of Diotrephes is built from the perspective of the two natures. Here's why. The sinful nature of man behaves in a way which is like the lost man, like the unre unregenerated man, in the eyes of God. Okay, Because you can have lost people who are good people according to man's definition, but they're all wicked according to God. That person can be a Christian, meaning they're converted, they have a new nature, but he's not walking according to that new nature. 
He is profitless and subject to discipline from the Father. This in itself, that believer and the way that he acts, is evil. That's a very strong statement. But it's why we are told to avoid the evil and go after the good. Number two, the new nature is, of a believer is born of God. It cannot sin. Good works are all it can do. And therefore, a believer who does good is walking intimately with God. This is, by definition, good. This is why Jesus said to the rich young ruler, there's none good. What did he mean by that? There's none that meet the standard of perfection except the believer that is walking with the Lord. Do you recognize the power of that? That you can live a life in accordance with truth and God will honor it? He knows the battle you're going through. He told us through Paul, the flesh and the, and, and the spirit, they're against one another constantly. But if you do right, you'll receive blessing. That's the mercy of God right there. But the support and opposition was inside the body. This is why it's said, you can close your Bibles and I'll just remind you what 1 Corinthians 12 says, that there be no division, no schism. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the body of Christ. It actually echoes from 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul is beginning his instruction and he says, I hear that there are divisions among you. Corinth was a different case than um, who John was writing to here, many believe, in Ephesus. But regardless, you have people who are doing right, you have people who are doing wrong. And what I think is a good takeaway is Gaius, that guy was treating people correctly in the body and outside of the fellowship. Isn't that a great way to prepare yourself for soul winning? Be someone who actually wants to win people people to Christ. You can share the gospel and do it in a way that does not help the message. I've seen it. Trust me. I've seen it. The lesson to learn here is we need to walk according to the truth. And if you don't know what the truth is, you know right away you can't walk according to it. So know what the Word says. Take the time to be a student of the Word. It will reap great rewards for you and also for your family. I take that responsibility seriously. One of those things when Kyle and I were praying about, do we want to have kids and, and do we want to go through foster care and adoption? There, there was a number one question in my mind was, are you ready to walk according to what, the, uh, what God says is true? Because that's what's going to determine the success or the failure of your kids. They're going to have to make their own decision. But boy, if you set them up for success early... <laughs> That's a good thing. How can you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? Let me share with you here. This hand represents you and me. My wallet. Rep <laughs> my wallet. I knew I was going to do it eventually. This block of sin represents sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God loves us, hates our sin, and separates us from him. In order to get to heaven, you have to be perfect without any of this past, present, or future. A lot of people think, well, I'll make a promise today, I'll never do it again. You can't. And even if you could, what about what you just did before you made the covenant to never sin? Someone's got to pay for that. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in hell. 
God loves us very much, so he intervened to pay for this sin. But the satanic religions of the world, and by the way, anything that denies Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, it's a satanic religion. That is what it is. That was something that came to me as I was talking this morning about the record and the record. I just forgot to say it. But man, anything that goes against the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and the only way to heaven, it is of the devil. Don't matter how nice and generous it is. It is set to deceive people. And most of those religions point the individual to themselves. Do good, do good, do good. You'll pay off your sin. That's not what the Bible says. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Somebody's got to die for this sin. And we're, sin, we're sinful. If we die for our sin, we're going to end up paying for it. This hand represents Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. He took that sin and paid for it on the cross. Before he gave up the ghost, he said something very important. It is finished. The payment for sin completed. He was buried and he rose again three days later to prove that what he did, that who he said he was, he is the Son of God. And now the offer is to you. Here's this sin. You're on the hook for it. You're going to trust in yourself to get to heaven? Or are you going to change your mind and put your trust in the Son of God who is Jesus Christ, who shed his blood to pay for this sin? I pray that you'll put your trust in him. Would you pray with me, please? No looking around. If you're here on the internet and it makes sense to you tonight, you say, Pastor, I, I understand that I'm a sinner. I was trusting myself, but I've, I, I hear what the Scripture says, and I put my trust in Jesus Christ. Would you pray for me? I certainly would. Write to us. Uh, if you're on our website, you can click the button underneath the video. That signifies you've trusted Christ. You can leave a comment, and we'll be more than happy to reach out to you. For those in the audience here, I'm looking around. I know you all, and so I want to encourage you, especially you know you're here on a Sunday night. You're either here because you know you've got kids in the back with Awana, or you're, you're here because this is one of the times that you can come throughout the week. Regardless, sermons like this, they're very important to the practicality of the Christian life. It's more than just this is where I go, this is where I'm a member. It, it is, this is who I am. This is my identity. This is my purpose. And I, as your pastor, want you to be in support of the gospel and the truth, not in opposition. But that truth lies, or excuse me, that decision lies with you. And so I'm praying for you. And if you have bitterness tonight, you've got things going on in your life that are getting in the way of proper fellowship with the Lord, talk to him about it. But then know what he says. He's not going to give you more than what you can handle. There's also the reality that we are sinners, folks, myself included. But take it to the Lord in prayer. And then ask someone to pray for you. Support one another. It's hard enough already. Let's support each other. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Awana program in the back and the examples that we have throughout the New Testament. Bring us back here safely on our midweek service. In Jesus' name I pray these things.